My name is Richard Gibbons. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian. If you are wondering what First Presbyterian Church is like, one of the things you will discover is that each time you come, you will receive a very warm welcome. I have the pleasure of assisting with a number of ministries here at this church. I teach five new member classes a year. also help to lead mission trips to the Dominican Republic. And uh, we at this church do a number of things that impact our community. It's a wonderful place to serve. It's a wonderful place to belong. My main responsibilities include family ministries, which is marriage, men's ministry, and young adults. I also have the joy of serving the night worship service. My passion here at the church is to point others to the love and grace found in Jesus Christ. My particular job is in education, uh, whether it's adult education or youth or children. I have something to do with it uh, and would love to talk with you at any time about the things that you can learn from the Bible in our education courses here at First Presbyterian Church. Congregational care covers a lot of ground in a, a church like ours. Essentially, we believe that uh, the mission of the church is to care for one another uh, as well as to outreach in the community. So our desire is to provide for the spiritual, emotional, and physical care of the members of our congregation and extend that also to the needs of our community. I'm Tina Jones. I'm the director of the children's ministry here at First Presbyterian. Scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have a very vibrant children's ministry. When you come on a Sunday morning, your children have not just childcare, we also offer ministry. One of the amazing things about First Presbyterian is our location. We're situated at the heart of Greenville, a growing and vibrant city. Everything from children's ministry and youth ministry to a prayer ministry and being very active in the community gives us an opportunity to spread and share the love of Christ. If you are looking for a Sunday morning experience that is engaging, vibrant and life transforming, please come and join us. God is the one who opened your mind and my mind and our hearts in order to understand the gospel and receive Him. We didn't do it on our own. This church didn't do it. No preacher in this place did it. It was the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God who opened your heart and mind. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. I'd like to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles, and if you're using the Pew Bible, it will be page 1644, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, beginning at verse 36. Hear now the Word of God. While the disciples were still talking about this, Jesus stood himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts and doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. 
when he said, had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Luke presents us with a telescoped version of the last days of Jesus. We know from the rest of the New Testament that Jesus actually spent 40 days with his disciples teaching them about the kingdom of God. Luke tends to telescope this into just one day and one night. It's an effective method of sharing this particular information that he desires to share as he interviewed eyewitnesses of the account. Eyewitnesses are very important people. They tell us things that we could not otherwise know. And they have a perspective from which they speak. Eyewitnesses also, apparently, at least according to the statement about Elvis Presley, that there was an eyewitness account of his meeting with Richard Nixon in 1970. Turns out that Elvis, the pelvis, you remember, the king of rock and roll, was very concerned about the invasion of leftist thinking and all kinds of stuff that was going on in the late 60s and early 70s. And he met Spiro Agnew at a party and asked if he could meet with the president. He wanted to not only give him something, but he also wanted something from the president. Well, as things worked out, sure enough, Elvis comes to Washington. Haldeman, who was chief of staff at that time, got the message that he was there, and he made an arrangement for him to meet with Richard Nixon. There's a picture of the king of rock and roll shaking hands with President Nixon. And also the fact that two weeks later, after that interview, he was issued a special registration as an investigator of type, of a, of a type, to investigate the inner workings of the hippie movement and the liberal movement of that time period. Very interesting story. Wish you, you might want to Google it and, and take a look at the pictures. Eyewitnesses recorded that event. Eyewitnesses recorded this event. Eyewitnesses who Luke interviewed. And this is what is so wonderful about the Bible. It never pulls any punches about 
reality. You'd think if Luke was trying to make a case for Jesus that he wouldn't write some of the stuff that he wrote in this passage. you think he would write something like when Jesus showed up that everybody was says, hey Jesus, great to see you, glad you're here. You know, wonderful resurrection, really, really great. Uh, we'd love to see you and hear more from you. That's not what we have here. We have transfixed and troubled disciples. Look with me at the passage beginning at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, still talking about Cleopas and his experience with Jesus, and that Peter had met with Jesus as well, and that the women had told them earlier that day that the grave was empty, they were still talking about this, and Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now these men were not at peace. Their leader had just been murdered brutally. They had been seen by everybody as his followers. They were wondering when the SWAT team was going to break through the doors and take them away and crucify them. That's mostly what was lying in back of their minds. Yes, they were disturbed about the stories they had heard about Jesus' resurrection, but they were scared as little chickens. Jesus' first words to them is, are not, hey, I can take care of it. He simply says, peace be to you. The same greeting that he gives to the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1. Peace be to you. Do you know that Jesus wants us to be peaceful, not transfixed, not troubled? He wants us to be at peace. He wants those whom you live around in your neighborhood, those whom you love as in-laws or outlaws, as the case may be, those with whom you work or go to school, He desires peace for them. And so His greeting is classic in the midst of the trouble that these disciples were experiencing. They were terrified, the Scriptures tell us. The same word that in its base meaning means they were in a state of disorder. Everything was flipped upside down. Jesus does not want us to be in a state of disorder. He wants us to be at peace. What's their response to this greeting? Look at verse 37 with me for just a moment. They were startled and, frank, uh, and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Luke's not painting a very good picture of these faithful disciples, is he? They were scared to death and doubting. They were dialoguing in their minds, and that's what the word means when it says doubt. It means that they were dialoguing with themselves in their minds. What could this mean? Is this for real? He says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me 
and see the go a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see me. He says, it is I myself. Do you know what the exact words are? I am myself. Come straight from the burning bush in which, G which Moses met God. And Moses said, who should I say to the children of Israel sent me? And he says, I am. Same thing Jesus says here. I am myself. And then he commands them to handle him. That's the, what the word is used. Handle me. Touch me. It's a command in the scripture. Just what we have done here. In a sensory and symbolic way, we have touched Jesus. We have tasted that he is good. Handle me, he said. Touch me. See, it is I myself. I'm no apparition. I am alive from the dead. What was their response? Well, Luke failed to give us a good account because if you look at the statement, it says, he showed them his hands and feet, verse 41, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement or wonder, they couldn't believe this is too good to be true. He simply says, do you have some food to eat? You see, the tranquil Jesus is a transformer. He is about to transform these disciples. So he takes a piece of broiled fish into his hand and he eats it in their presence. No ghost ever did that. And then he said, what? His response to the handle me is found also, I wanted to share this with you. The Apostle John, who was there that night, makes reference to this in his first epistle when he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. An eyewitness who touched Jesus in his glorified body. Communion allows us to touch him. The disciples continued to doubt and wonder. And then Jesus begins his transformation in verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you. Look at the passage. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms. Everything that these men and women had put their trust in, the Word of God, the Bible, symbolized or 
capsulized in Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Everything was about Jesus and his coming and what had happened. The disciples had been in his teaching for three years and they still did not get it. He says, this is what I told you would happen. And then he opened their minds. Look at verse 45 with me for just a moment. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This is the same word that's used earlier in Luke when Cleopas and his friend, as they were sitting at table, they didn't know who this man was that was sitting with them, that they had been conversing with on the way. When Jesus broke the bread, their eyes were opened. And it's the same word that is used here later when he says he opened their minds. Beloved, God is the one who opened your mind and my mind and our hearts in order to understand the gospel and receive him. We didn't do it on our own. This church didn't do it. No preacher in this place did it. It was the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God who opened your heart and mind and can open the hearts and minds of every person you love, every person you work with, Every person you live with, he is able to open their minds and their hearts. Why has God placed this church in the center of Greenville? It is so that we can present the transforming power of Jesus Christ. This transforming power is seen right here. When he opened their minds, as he had opened the eyes of Cleopas, that same word, again, is used of Lydia, a convert in Philippi. You remember the story. Paul goes to Philippi, cannot find a synagogue in which to share the gospel. He goes to the river and finds a group of women praying. And it says, when he presented the gospel, the Lord opened Lydia's heart. You cannot, I cannot open the hearts of people. Only God can do that. That's how we should pray for this city. That's how we should pray for our friends, our loved ones, our in-laws and outlaws, as the case may be, and those with whom we work, praying that the Holy Spirit will open their minds and hearts. This same Jesus can open hearts and minds. This same Jesus can command our worship and our mission. God has called you to your vocation wherever that may place you. He has called you to his neighborhood in which he has placed you. He has called you into the family in which he has placed you to share the gospel and to share his glory just as he has for me. And I do probably a terrible job of it. But with Christ opening minds, we don't have to. He can command this mission. When he says, if you look at him, look at the verses, verses 45 and following. 
He opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what the Father promised. The word opened that was used for Jesus' opening in the minds of the disciples is also used in Acts 17 when Paul preaches on the mount at Athens. It says that he explained the gospel. He opened the gospel. And the next word says that he proved, or that's what the New International says. The actual word means to present food to eaters. That's the base meaning of that word, of what he did on the mountain. He presented spiritual food to eaters. Now, I don't know about you, but I've tried to feed babies when they don't want to be fed, and I got it all on me. You see, beloved, those with whom you work and love, those whom, with whom you live who are not hungry for spiritual things and God has not opened their minds, what are they going to do? They're going to spit all over you. But the ones who God has opened their minds and made their stomachs hungry for the food of the gospel, they'll grab it hook, line, and sinker. That's our calling, is to pray to the God who is the one who can open minds and hearts, who can make people hungry. We can't do it. That's why he can command the mission, because it is his mission, not ours. We simply obey him and share spiritual food with spiritually hungry people. Some of them don't know they're hungry. Some of them do. That's God's work, not ours. Well, you say, well, wait a minute, I'm not a, an evangelist, I can't do that. No, you can't, nor can I. But Jesus says, the Holy Spirit in you is enabling you. So not only should you pray that the Holy Spirit open people's hearts, but pray that God will give you opportunity to share spiritual food. Simply that repentance and forgiveness is found in Jesus. That's a simple message. They may spit it back at you, or they may grab it and join us. How do we know that this Holy Spirit's going to do this? How do we know that there's long-term availability and power? It is because Luke transfixes us on the transfiguration of the ascension. Look at the last verses. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. He left them and was taken up into heaven. They worshiped him. He was coronated that day as King of kings and Lord of lords. He reigns in heaven and he sends his Holy Spirit upon us 
upon those who he calls to himself, making them hungry, opening their minds to the gospel. And all we have to do is harvest. This is why God has placed you where you are and where I am. Let us get about the work. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your wonderful calling and that through your sheer grace you made us hungry for your gospel. We do lift up to you those with whom we live, we work, go to school, those whom we love and our friends. Many of them do not know you. We pray for your spirit to open their minds and that you would give us power to simply present the good food of repentance and forgiveness through Jesus. And we ask this for his sake. Amen. Have you missed a Sunday? Go to our website to watch previous broadcasts, download a podcast, or purchase a CD or DVD. And don't forget to connect with First Pres by liking us on Facebook and Twitter, signing up to receive emails, or requesting prayer online. My name is Keith Gross, and I am Executive Director of Neighborhood Focus. Neighborhood Focus is a free, faith-based, out-of-school-time program for under-resourced children and students here in Greenville. Uh, we accomplish our mission through uh, academic support and spiritual enrichment and life skills development for children ages K-5 through 12th grade. Our goal is to provide a foundation for future success. Neighborhood Focus offers the opportunity to get involved in real simple ways. You can come on a Friday night club. You can come spend your time during the school year and the after school program. Also during the summer camps. Neighborhood Focus is a difference maker. They're a difference maker in the lives of young people. Well, I've been here since the program started. And what I love about it is we have an opportunity to pour ourselves into the kids and put God's word in it. Out of all the years I've been doing this, it's just been a blessing to be able to just see the kids grow, see the counselors grow, and just the fellowship and the friendships they build over the years that I've been here. I see the continuity and I also see the community. You have children who are sharing the good news of Christ and they're sharing it amongst themselves and, and they're learning how to verbalize that and, and ways to do that to take it into their Christian walk and take it back hopefully to their community. While the kids would tell you that they love any opportunity they have to get wet and get the counselors wet, they have a great time. I would just always remember the love of the kids and how they're so much fun and they're so joyous and to watch them rush in and give us huge hugs. I made a lot of friends. We did a lot. We learned a lot, of, a lot more about God than I didn't know about. I've learned new things about God and uh, we've went to many field trips. We've had fun all summer. I like coming here because I can have fun for the games and I can go to field trips and have new friends. My daughter, she's nine years old. She told me that this is one of the best decisions you have ever made. The Neighborhood Focus After School Program uh, requires significant volunteer support to execute properly. The three areas that we have a primary need for volunteers include help with our uh, food program, including picking up meals and distributing meals to the children in the early afternoon. Secondly, uh, help with monitoring homework and assistance with one-on-one -on -one tutoring. 
And lastly, we're always in need of individuals that enjoy coming out and spending time in recreation with the children. The most important goal for Neighborhood Focus is to take our kids on a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. It's because of the generosity of partners like First Presbyterian Church that we're able to do what we do. If you'd like to join us in our effort to make a difference to this next generation, please let us know. We'd enjoy the opportunity to have you join our team.